Coming up on this episode of Up for Debate, we're talking educational children's programming. All your favorites from your childhood, including Bill Nye, Mr. Wizard, Miss Frizzle, and the whole gang will be here. Matt and I will get to the bottom of what it's really all about. So stick around because it's time for Up for Debate. This is Up for Debate, episode number 62, recorded October 13th, 2016, The Teachers of Television. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate. I'm Sean Jennings, joined, as always, by the head of this classroom. That's Mr. Mariani to you, Mr. Matt Mariani. Hey, Mr. Sean. We ready for another field trip? I Oh, boy, are we. I'm ready to learn. Fun utainment. Right here. Certainly hope you got that permission slip signed and ready to go so we can go travel the universe. And, and make make sure you have your body. Make sure you hold hands with your buddy so you don't get lost. That's right. Although I think that would have been the least of your worries if you were traveling with Miss Frizzle's oh, crew. Oh goodness, on that magic school bus. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Matt, we are talking educational children's programming this week on the show and i want to thank everybody who's watching live right now on facebook at facebook.com slash up for debate tv we do the show thursday nights at 8 30 eastern 7 30 central so i highly recommend you check us out and join us live if you're watching live comment make some notes do it right on the facebook page and we'll see it and we might talk about it during the show what do you does that sound like a good idea to you matt i think that sounds like a terrible idea what <laughs> no, it sounds like a oh. it sounds like a good way to uh, let us feel like people watch our show. <laughs> so I, I like it, and sometimes I'm they for, do. I'm uh, for it. Very good. Now, Matt, I do, and the reason I wanted to start by telling everybody the topic of the show is educational children's programming. But if you've ever seen the show, you know usually about the first five or ten minutes tend to be off topic, right? Would you say that that's yeah. fair to say? I think yeah, mildly off topic, yeah. So I'm going to take us mildly off topic here for just a second because I have to apologize, Matt. Unlike uh, a certain presidential candidate, I'm willing to apologize. Oh, uh, what did you say, Sean? I what did you tweet? I'm sorry I talked about tweets? grabbing them by the you know what. No, listen. <laughs> I if you listened two episodes ago, episode number sixty, laughs in thirty minutes or less, we talked about half hour comedies. And Matt, you may remember I had some specifically harsh words about the popular U.S. television program, The Office. If you remember correctly, the recap is I said through basically the end of the third season. After that, the show was absolute garbage, and I still stand by most of that. But what I specifically meant, you said the first three seasons were, as you quote, groundbreaking television, was your quote. And I said, Matt, absolutely not. Was the show good? Yes. Did it have funny episodes? Yes. But it was it was pretty good. It certainly wasn't groundbreaking. And Matt, that is what I owe you an apology for, because The Office, in its specifically, I'm going to be very specific here, seasons one and two... Everything before Casino Night, and including Casino Night, was truly amazing television. And I apologize that I undersold it because I went back and rewatched it. And you know what? Gosh darn, that was as crisp to perfection of television as you can imagine, where every single episode is not only great, it's perfect. So I undersold the first two seasons. All right. Um, I, I, on behalf of Steve Carell and the gang, I, I do accept your apology and, and we're honored to have been uh, rectified in your, in your opinion. Well, you know, and I was so annoyed that I undersold it. And then I realized, you know, Steve Carell never won an Emmy for his role as Michael Scott. Yeah. And so I looked that, up. That's a shame. Do you know who won be, uh, outstanding male comedy lead Emmy in the years of the first and second seasons of The Office? Alec Baldwin. No. That he would, they came after that for the first and second seasons. Yes, you probably won't guess because it was no. a stupid pick. It was Tony Shalhoub in Monk. Wow, that's come on <laughs> against against Steve Carell as Michael Scott in, in Office seasons one and two. That's fine. That whoever made that decision, literally, they should be locked up. An they should shame. be locked up in jail. I will, I will, I will create a petition to have whoever made that decision arrested. Yes, because that's absolute tragedy. Yes, it's awful. And um, now I will say, by the way, um, not that I want to get too deep into the office, and I promise we'll get to educational programming. But I know what ruined the office. What ruined the office? One place, Stamford, Connecticut. <coughs> Stamford, Connecticut. That's why I draw the line at Casino Night because you immediately enter season three. 
Jim is in Stamford, Connecticut. The introduction of Andy Bernard, Karen Filippelli, uh, the boss guy Josh. It is an awful, horrific decision they made to try and expand the universe with new characters beyond the core of The Office. Because first of all, Andy Bernard, who never left the show after that, through to the tip end, is an awful character. He is not a good character. He has no redeeming qualities like most of the people in The Office. And they never really gave him anything to do. See, right there, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Sean. I think that he had he actually had redeeming qualities. His, rede- his, his redemption came from the fact that you know, you on the surface, he had, you had this like deeply insufferable, you know, I went to Cornell, like egomaniac guy with a lot of anger issues. Yeah. But deep down, I think he he was he was more of like a, a guy who didn't know what he was doing. And I, I agree. They, I don't think they I don't think they expanded it enough or fleshed it out enough. But. I think he was a flawed character deep down. And you, I, have to, you have to really examine it, though. And I don't disagree, but we never saw that vulnerability. That's the problem. Yeah, Dwight, I don't think Dwight for example, was very similar, but there were episodes where we saw him cry. There were episodes where we yeah. saw him sad, where we saw him broken and then pick himself up. Andy never had that. That was what I missed. But it, see, here's the thing in that I treat The Office like it's a comedy. And, I, and, and a lot of people have the same theory with Parks and Rec. But, they watch it as like a story. They, they, they want to see the characters develop. They want to see their relationships build. I don't want any of that in my sitcom. The but whole Andy's thing not funny. Comedy. But that's I the point. He was hilarious. No, he he's was a, not. He's and he like it was funny that I, I never I don't think I ever laughed as hard in the series. I mean, in a couple parts, but. One of the top ten moments was when he gets so mad because they're playing a prank on him that he punches his fist straight through a wall. I agree. That was very. It's pretty clear in that moment that he has unresolved anger. But you know what? Time out though, because in that scene, I agree that was a funny episode and a funny scene. But you know what was funny about that? It wasn't Andy. It was Jim and Pam messing with Andy that was funny about that. That's my point. No, I think it was. It started out with Jim and Pam being funny. But then he took it to a whole other level by freaking out and completely overreacting to the situation. And that made it even funnier. The Office is a funny, funny show. And I don't care about anything else going on with the characters. I just want to laugh. But here's my proof point, right? Season three, hit or miss. Had some really good episodes. I would say two of my favorites, and I know you'll agree, would be Phyllis's Wedding and Business School. Phyllis's Wedding and Business School. Um... Two very funny ep- – two really, I think, classic episodes. Phyllis's wedding I thought was hysterical. Yeah. Especially the um, the part with her grandpa her, – was it her grandpa or her uncle? That was funny. Yeah. Um, and business school but- had some of my favorite Michael Scott moments because in that you get A, his moment with Ryan where he says, Ryan, it's, it's about people and you'll never understand that. And then you have the moment where he goes to Pam's art show where no one else would. And that was some of the most touching Michael Scott moments. And I really That's- like that. And you know what was unique about those two episodes, Matt? Andy what? Bernard wasn't in them. He was in <laughs> anger management for about four episodes. Oh, I remember that. And I, he was probably filming – Ed Helms was probably filming a movie or something. I, ha- I have no idea. But I, what I'm saying is the best parts of season three were the parts where he wasn't there. I don't think so. I don't think that's true. I mean remember the part um, where they, they're doing sumo wrestling and then he gets stranded out in the river? And he's floating on the on the river, but he's on that like sumo flo- flotilla suit. He had that funny was, moments. Again, I think he messed highlight. with the chemistry. I, I'm not going to come back in two weeks and apologize for this opinion. I promise. Okay. Um, okay. I'm going to stand by. But I, I think agree. we just when we watch The Office, I think we watch it from two different oh, points sure. of view. Well, that's, I think you like the character development along with your comedy. I'm just in it for the laugh. Well, that was I just I just want to laugh. At that a, was at a one good of scene. um that was one of my favorite things about season three and four was watching Pam develop as her own character. With Jim gone, she really sort of gained a personality she didn't have in seasons one and two, and I really enjoyed oh, seeing yeah. it. But then again, you know, you have to remember Michael. Remember Michael dating Jan. I mean, just a lot of bad ideas. I didn't care for that. Anyway, we're getting distracted, but I apologize, Matt. <laughs> You're right. The Office one and two absolutely some of the best. Because I, I hadn't seen it in a long time, I refreshed and enjoyed it. Anyway. Thank you. Now, to those of you listening out there, go out and listen. Go out and watch. Go out and watch 
seasons two through two and three. Really, you just watch one through three. I thought season season one borrowed a lot. It borrowed heavily from the British oh, office, sure. but um, I think the things that they they redid, they redid them really well, and they're worth watching. Uh, so don't skip that. But two and three to me, like the pinnacle of early two thousands comedy. And I- TV. I'll make you guys a deal. If you watch seasons three and four and you like them, tweet Matt. Two and three. Two and no, because everyone likes two. Two's two's the best part of the show. I don't know anyone yeah. who doesn't like two. Four was okay. I don't know. Four, four didn't really do. And three was hit. Or, three was really hit or miss. Watch three and four. If you like them, tweet Matt. Uh, M M A T T two o nine. And if you don't like them, tweet me at Sean Jennings, and we'll see who's right. <laughs> the fans will decide. Fans will the decide. fans will decide. We did have a Facebook right. comment from Jessica who says um, the office is perfect, and I'm happy to hear you say those words. You are forgiven. So I'm for- <laughs> I am forgiven. You are forgiven. Okay, good. Now let's continue on to educational children's programming. Matt, we brought this up on last week's episode about sandwiches. You can tell we get off topic a lot, and um, and we decided to expand on it. So you know, we obviously grew up in a certain time. Um, so you know you're. If you're watching, your results may vary. If you're a little older, you may not relate to these. Sorry. Um, but it's all about nostalgia, right? So, Matt, where would you like to start with educational children's programming? Um, I want to start with, with one of my absolute favorite educational shows uh, of my youth, uh, a show by the name of The Magic School Bus. Ah, yes. The animated show. The Magic School Bus. I think you got you got to go with the Magic School Bus first. I mean, what pretty much even still today, when I think of the term educational television, I think of Magic School Bus right off the bat. And why is that? Um, I really think it's be- it has to do with the the adventure, like. Every episode was a new adventure for them, for those kids, all right? And they all, every day they got to go someplace new and someplace exciting, and uh, they never had to take a test, you know? They just, they like got to experience things, but they still got to learn at the same time. It was, it was awesome. Um, I secretly wish that I could have been part of the Magic School Bus gang. Uh, Sean's shaking his head. No. Interesting. No. Why we, not? We talked about this last week. It was a death trap. Or you'd be so you'd be <laughs> in a straitjacket in a mental hospital if you were uh, one of the kids on the magic school bus, because it it would have just no one would have believed you. You would have been labeled an insane youth. See, I would have thought that like after the but after the first two or three field trips, I think you would get used to the fact that Miss Frizzle has your back and nothing bad is gonna happen to you. Yeah, but and and like you'll just you'll just learn that you're basically immortal and you can enjoy the ride from then on. But what happens when you go to middle school and there's no more magic school bus? There's the public <laughs> education system. Those kids didn't. I and it turns out that all the things you learn are not on the state test. I was gonna say, how well are they gonna do on standardized testing? What's multiple oh, choice? <laughs> <laughs> Those kids are screwed. You mean we're not on a field trip. I feel like college humor should have done some kind of skit. Oh, where them, like the them growing up, kids graduate into high school, like they go into high school or something, and they're like, "What? Where's the? Where, where's our field trip? We don't get to go on a cool field trip." Or they just have like one kid from the magic school bus in like Who transferred a class to a different school. Yeah. yeah, he like moves to a different school or something. Or even even in reverse, you get a normal kid who transfers into Miss Frizzle's class. What the hell is going on? <laughs> I can just picture, I can just picture like the teacher walks in and he's like, so where are we going today? Are we going to be going to the moon or are we going to be going under the ocean? Or are we going to be, are we going to be exploring a swamp or go hanging out with the dinosaurs? And they'll be like, you're going to do page 50 to 59 in your textbook. <laughs> I'm going to sit worksheet. here and read a newspaper. Like, <laughs> Yeah, those kids um, did not get any real world skills. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very odd. You know, one thing I did appreciate, and it's different from all the other shows we'll probably talk about tonight, is that it had characters, it had story, it was it was it was fiction, it was creating a narrative around an educational topic, um, and it was the same characters every week, um, which I think is, you know, maybe a little more common today, but 
um, I think was u- unique to this, where each character had very Captain Planet style, had uh, were all ethnically diverse, but also had different personalities and and really kind of fed off one another. Yeah, I, you really had a lot of um, you had some pretty good characters in Magic School Bus. I mean, you had like a, a lot of different personalities. Uh, like you said before, they, they were very they were diverse in, in multiple different ways, race, gender. Um, but they all, um, you know, show they all got along so the kids can relate to that message. Um, but I, I like the, the, the personalities of, of, of probably above all else. And it, it kind of mirrored the personalities that a kid might experience on their typical day of school. Because you had, you know, Ralphie was the was the one that joked around all the time. I mm-hmm. think. Let's see how many of them can you name. Oh God, no! Carlos was the one that had. He kept coming up with like these awful jokes. Yep. And like puns. The class so clown. Like, he's like the joker, the jokester. Mm-hmm. And Ralphie was the the bum, right? He had the backwards hat yep. on. Ralphie. Yep. And was there a Susie? I feel like one of them was named Susie. There should have been a Susie. No. Wasn't the blonde with pigtails? Her name wasn't Susie? Uh, no, you're thinking of uh, Phoebe. Phoebe, okay. Phoebe. So they, they took that right from Friends, basically. Yeah. Um, you're basically the cast of Friends, but with, <laughs> as kids. Um, then you had uh, Arnold. Oh, my God. Arnold. We have to talk about Arnold. He had the glasses. He sucked. He was, he was a, little, a little wet blanket, that kid. Like he would always be throwing shade on everybody else and he never got, he never enjoyed himself. He never had a good time. I feel like sometimes we're all Arnold deep down. Okay. Don't push it. (laughs) Deep down. We're all Arnold. What the hell are you going on about? (laughs) We try not to be an Arnold. We don't want to be an Arnold. And sometimes we we want to be a Carlos. We don't want to be an Arnold. Yeah, we want to be a car. We want to we want to have fun and and have make everybody laugh around us. We don't want to be the Arnold. Arnold, if it were up to Arnold, everybody would be doing the same crap every day. They'd be sitting in the classroom. They'd be taking a test. They'd be writing notes. They wouldn't get to go on these fun field trips. They would be doing the same thing every single day. Don't be an Arnold. You want to be you want to be a Ralph or you want to be a uh, Carlos. Yeah. And he. Uh, Poor Arnold would always get his ass kicked. Yeah, in well, every that, episode. That served right, didn't it? For for being he got frozen in outer blank. space. Yeah, he took his helmet off when they went into outer space and died. He literally <laughs> died. <laughs> then Miss Frizzle brought him back to life. It was okay. She is a demon. Um, yes, there was also, by the way, Keisha and Dorothy Ann. Dorothy Ann was the one who who was the nerdy one who'd always say, "According to my research," and then she'd say the educational oh. part of the show. I remember her, yeah. yeah. But she, see, she was necessary because that was where you got your learning in. Miss Frizzle, she kind of set the whole thing up, and then, um, yeah, no, she, she was the valedictorian, hands mm. down. Oh, clearly. What's her name again? Uh, Dorothy Ann. Da, Dorothy they'd call Ann. her. Da. She was, yeah, obviously went on to do great things. That show was really old. These kids are probably. They got to be almost in their 30s by now, I would think. Well, for example, do you remember Danny Tamborelli, who was, um, you may know him from Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon. He voiced Arnold. Did he really? He's 34 years old. Wow. I remember him from, he was on All That. Yes, he was. All That. Oh, boy. Man, we could do a whole Nickelodeon episode. Yeah. So you'll be happy to know Magic School Bus ran for 52 episodes from 1994 to 1997. Now, what was your favorite episode? Um, I'd have to look at the full list to, to tell you for sure. I mean, uh, I don't know. Right I think there were the classics that ran a lot, which was um, Space. The Space one was great. I mostly liked it because the computer game, there was a PC game that uh, came out around that time. It was so much fun. Everybody wanted to play it in my computer class. Um, they had it at my local library, and I used to play it there all the time. You could go to each planet and they had like every time you landed on a new planet, you had like a super realistic image of almost like a like of the spacecraft, like you were in the spacecraft and it would land on the planet. And it like just I remember just completely blowing my seven year old, eight year old mind, like seeing that 
Because I thought it was real. I thought it was like real images from space. I didn't know that they had cracked. Like, it was so well done. It looked like it was basically an FMV, like a full motion video. But they, I guess they had, they had created it all on a computer. But it looked very realistic. Every time you would land on like Mars or Venus, it was so cool. It was a great game. I love that game. Um, the episode was pretty cool too. And that featured, I think, Arnold's cousin or something. It was like a female version of Arnold, basically, except she was a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. And and she, but then she turned out to be like bad or something. Yes, really uh, yeah. No, I would say my my most remembered episode was inside was uh, when they went inside of Ralphie yes. in the human body. That was another really good, which one. was pretty screwed up, by the way. <laughs> I'm just well, saying. Much took that idea. From and then Rugrats did the exact same thing. Well, what's the uh, the the famous it a, movie? It's like a famous. It's I think it's like called from the fifties. Yeah, something like that. It's a famous movie from like the sixties. Yeah, they actually go. They shrink the down to. But like, what teacher is like? Oh, a kid's home sick with the flu. We're gonna shrink down and go inside and see how antibodies work. Like that's come on, that's bizarre. <sighs> yeah, um, I don't. Those are those. Yeah, you probably hit my two favorites right there. Uh, and I also like the where they explore the ecosystem. That was interesting. Yep. And of course the dinosaurs, because what seven or eight year old doesn't love dinosaurs? Now, except it turns out a lot of the things that we learned about in that episode have now been disproven and are factually inaccurate. But it was the nineties. Yeah, I was gonna say, Matt. You know, nineties kids be remembering dinosaurs wrong. Um, and, now, Matt, one thing I want to talk about, and I want to do this with every program we talk about this evening. One thing that interests me is how educational television has to balance entertainment with education. And some of the shows yeah. we're going to talk about, I think, kind of lean one way or the other. So would you describe The Magic School Bus as more educational or entertaining? Where do you rank it on that spectrum in between those? Hmm. I would say that it ranks more on the entertaining side. I think it gives you a little taste of education, but you can't really learn a whole – you learn, like young, especially younger kids will learn from watching The Magic School Bus and definitely reading the books. There's mm. something more to be said of actually reading yes. this book. But I think, I think the kids will get a lot more of the entertainment – um, from watching the episodes, there's a little bit of learning in there, but mostly entertaining. I, I, that is a, you know, it's the difference between a tape your teacher would put in to teach you a lesson versus a teacher, your tape would put a tape that would be put in on a half day or to kill time. Well, to, where, just, to just, yeah, to just start off, um, there's no, there's like no point. There's not no point in the episode. Does it stop? And make you think about what you're learning. Exactly. That's, that's, that's pretty much the key. You're focused on the story while picking up facts as you go along versus the other way around. Exactly. There's no point where they're going to stop and be like, all right, so this is how an ecosystem works. And they'll ask you like a couple of questions like, what would eat in the ecosystem? What eats the frog? Or like, what eats the, the bird? Mm -hmm. Like stuff like that. They, um, at no point do they like they stop and ask those questions. So, you're, it's much more story driven um, than but your I, typical kids show. But I think that's also why we remember it so well. Oh yeah, you know we aren't here talking about the fun facts they told us. We're talking about the ridiculous stories they told. So, for whatever that's worth. Yeah. All right. Well, good. There you go. The Magic School Bus. It's hard to believe a show made to sell more books was because uh, it was a book first and uh, and it became such a popular show. Fun fact, Lily Tomlin, who, vo who voiced Miss Frizzle, won a daytime Emmy for her role. Wow. So there you go. What's she doing these days? Lily Tomlin. Oh, she's still pretty successful. She's got that, uh, that Netflix show with um, the other woman. Uh, Fonda, <laughs> Jane Fonda. Oh, is that her? Yeah, Lily Tomlin. Yeah. With, um, what's it? That's, um... With, uh, Sam Watterson and Michael Sheen in it? I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's, uh, Grace and Frankie. Frankie Grace and Grace. Grace and Frankie, yes. Grace, okay. Really? That's Miss Frizzle right there. Yep. Her and Jane Fonda. Yep. Wow, okay. 
Absolutely. Some some high some high powered talent they got on the Magic School Bus. Pretty cool. Now, Matt, what would you like to talk about next? What would you like to talk about next? I would like to talk about another 90s kids will remember um, this educational uh, program. And I, by the way, uh, before we get to that, I do want to mention a comment from Facebook. Someone asks, uh, what about Count Ducula? And I'd like to point out the late comer to the episode. A, um, I think we're a little too old, too, a little too young to remember that. That was a little more 80s. And B, only educational shows. I have no idea what Count Ducula is. I've never oh boy, John's gonna not that. be happy that you said that, um, because uh, no, it was a uh, it was an animated show with um, it was like a Ducktales. It was kind of the same idea, but he was okay. like a Batman type character, superhero oh, type okay. character. But it was a, it was an eighties thing, and it wasn't educational. So, but I wanted to acknowledge we heard your comment. I thought maybe he was maybe he like counted or something. He did like, like the, the count, count, like on like Sesame the Street. Count on yeah. The Sesame. No, you'll have to go look for clips of that later because it's right. uh, people who were around at the time seem to like it. So, uh, no, I want to talk about um, uh, William Nye, the science gentleman, <laughs> um, a fine guy. Uh, of course, Bill Nye, the science guy, hosted uh, Bill Nye, the science guy from 93 to 98, um, over 100 episodes over five seasons of his show. You may not know this, Matt. Bill Nye, um, of course, before being a television personality or becoming the science guy well he was thing is he always was a science guy because he actually started his career at boeing where he uh he was an actual scientist uh where he created um parts for the boeing 747 jet and he um and he owns several patents um he's he's actually quite the uh, the scientist not just an entertainer He, he backs it up with knowledge that's great um and therefore we have to get to his television career. Bill Nye, the science guy. So it's interesting, Matt. I went back and actually watched. It's all, they're all on Netflix, by the way. If you want to go watch some Bill Nye, the science guy. Uh, they are streaming and available. I went back and watched one before the show tonight. And a couple things struck me. One, it is a fantastic encapsulation of the 90s. Because it is so fast-paced, high-energy, erratic, um, parodying... Um, good for adults and children, um, very unlike something like Mr. Wizard's World, which we'll probably talk about later, but this is like Mr. Wizard's World on crack, (laughs) this program, very excitable. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably what the network, what the producers were going for. That's honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly word for word what they said at the pitch meeting, like... Let's make it just like Mr. Wizard's world, but let's crank it up a little bit or crank it up a lot, pretty much. Because with Mr. Wizard, it was very methodical, right? He went through each thing. He he looked at it. There was like one experiment. And there was no music, no camera cuts, no no graphics, no no nothing. Pretty much just one camera or two. Um, Yeah, no no special graphic. It was just him doing science, really, and and a kid – Helping him out. Um, but with, yeah, with Bill Nye, and I think on your ranking scale, I would put a show like Bill Nye a lot more onto the educational aspect. Um, not way on the educational aspect, somewhere in the middle. You disagree, you think it's more this, entertaining. This is going to be the, probably the most controversial part of today's program. Um, I don't think Bill Nye is particularly educational, and I don't think it's particularly good as far as educational programming goes. Really? Yes. Explain. So it all goes back to what I previously said. It was a very funny and entertaining show. Absolutely. I'm not going to doubt that for a second. One of the most entertaining. I would watch that with zero educational content in it. The problem is, as I rem- I just as a kid, you walk away remembering the, the, that you were entertained, but not the content. Because it was, it was so fast and distracting, and they tried to cover so much in 30 minutes, that I, I'm, I would say they probably put more effort into educational content than some of these other shows. I don't know how successful they were. Hmm. Because of how fast-paced it was, it, there was no time. As you mentioned, like with Magic School Bus, you have to let the content breathe. You have to let have time to people absorb it. And Bill Nye, yeah. you go back and watch these episodes, and it's like, 
oh my God. And then they throw random jokes in and like sketches and they're funny. Don't get me wrong. They're very funny, but they distract from the educational piece. And, you know, I'd be curious what kids today watching them might think, maybe because they are a little more, you know, distracted in general. Maybe they, that's what they go for, but. Yeah. See, see, I I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think especially for kids today, it's almost how they learn. Like, they don't, they, the truth is a lot of them or most, most of them can't really focus on a show, like a show like Mr. Wizard would never oh, it's survive. Boring. Oh, it's totally boring. Never survive today. Mm-hmm. You really need, you need the, the, the main part of the show needs to bounce between all this content because otherwise if he's just going to do one thing or two things for an entire episode, the kids will lose, they'll lose interest within the first 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think what made Bill Nye really successful was, like you said, it was perfect for its time. The 90s was a very a much more fast-paced, sort of less engaged, but more basically let's tackle as many things as we can in this condensed amount of time environment. And he's really like he, he goes from, from this to this to this to this to this, but they all relate back to that one central – concept and i think if you look at it from that way he's really teaching the main that main theme of the episode in multiple different ways right like or like chemistry like it all kind of leads back to that central point i think that you know the more i think about it on its on its own as a 30-minute television program i struggle to pull educational content from it but I feel Bill Nye, the science guy, would be at its best. And you're a teacher, so you can tell me how horribly wrong I am. I feel like this is a program you bring in at the end of a lesson, not at the beginning. This is something, you know, the episode I watched before the show was about planets, for example. So you teach the kids about planets and what the planets are and the different ones and that, you know, how far away from the sun they are and the ellipse orbit and all this. And then you bring in Bill Nye to make, I felt he did a really good job of making these concepts more real he did very physical demonstrations he did experiments you know the one on the planets just for an example is to to show how far apart the planets were from each other he got on a bicycle down a very long stretch of road and and biked from each planet and they're like you know these are kind of close and then he biked really hard really far and he's like this one's way farther than the others and you're like okay that's a really relatable way to understand this complicated big topic but I feel like if you went in with zero knowledge, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't going to mean as much to you. So I think this is a better supplement than it is a primary educational. But I guess all of these shows are kind of like that. So I, maybe I'm not being fair. Well, the 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 main thing you have to keep in mind when you're using a format like this to supplement education is that all of the none of this should really teach your kids new things Mm -hmm. these should all be um essentially designed to 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 open that filing cabinet that they have of the information they already learned and kind of reinforce it so i think a show like bill nye does that so so well because he's able to fit so much in such a little time frame and he and he and he like you said he uses relatable examples like riding the bicycle down a hill to show how how far apart the planets are um and what you really want to do is like we all how we learn is we form connections to things that we've already learned in the past so nothing is essentially new it's basically when you're when you're really really young you build this foundation and everything you learn from that point on is just building on top of that foundation so you're just you're just making new connections and new pathways um to things that you've already learned. So Bill Nye is really, um, he's not supposed, he'll, he can teach you a couple of new things about something that you might not have known before, but most of, of what you should get out of it is, oh, I've, I've heard of that before, or I've, I, you know, I've seen that before, and now it makes sense, it makes a lot more sense to me. Not like, oh, okay, this, I, I guess, um, like this is a thing I didn't know right. about it at all. It's like I kind of I kind of knew a little bit about it before, but now like I feel a lot more comfortable with it. 
Thank God you're here, Matt. Jeez, it's about, you know, we talk about so much crap on the show, and we are usually never, the one time we finally have an actual expert on the show who knows something about something we're talking about. I disagree. I, I feel like mo- most of the weeks you're the expert, especially when it comes to marketing and and when we talk about shows and entertainment. And Notice how it's, it's nothing useful in life. Matt's like, this is how you teach children to learn, and I'm like, I know a lot about Marvel movies. Um <laughs> Yeah, you can tell who really uh, really is doing well here. No, uh, I agree. I think in that respect, I, I do give Bill Nye credit. You know, if you think about it, why do educational television programs exist? What What is their purpose? I might put it as it's to, and I don't want to sound cheesy, but it's to make learning fun. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I think it's to take it out of a book and make it real. Television is a visual medium. And it yeah. does take textbook concepts and, and whether it's animated in the Magic School Bus or it's flashy as in Bill Nye or it's very boring and dry like it is in Mr. Wizard, it doesn't matter. You're presenting it to them in a different way that enhances the learning. And as you mentioned, repetition is a big piece of learning and um, and building on that foundation. If that is the case, then in that respect, yes, I would say Bill Nye is successful. I think on its uh, it's just, I don't know, I struggle a little bit with it because I do think it might be a little too fast-paced. But, yeah, you know, that's just how I see it. And again, I I would I would really because I remember how I viewed it in the 90s. I would love to know how kids today react to it. And yeah. if, and if they learn from it today. I would say it's really what, what educational television did in the 90s is that it it brought learning into a new medium. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, every everybody Previous generations were used to learning from books and learning from uh, lecturing. And the 90s kind of – the 90s kids, us really, we started to be accustomed to a different – completely different media. I think television completely changed the way that people learned really. Um, Instead of of having somebody up there talking, you had this – you had Bill Nye who could bring in all the graphics and all of the music and all of the, uh, the humor and the, yeah, right. And right there. And he, and it kind of like almost, it opened the, the doors of your imagination even more. And now today, these kids that are learning today are going even further with that. Now today I can't just show a, a, like, Bill Nye, a whole episode of Bill Nye, or I can't just show a whole episode of Mr. Wizard. I have to, you know, kind of make it interactive for them. These kids don't want to just sit in their seats and watch a video, whereas we might have been content to do that. Um, These kids want to actually engage with the learning and get it on their, um, on a medium that's relatable for them. And for them, that's the internet. That's the World Wide Web. That's social media. That's um, interactive videos. That's making your own, creating your own media, creating your own content. Well, I'm that's sure, really how they're learning. I'm sure you show a lot of YouTube clips and a lot of um, in your class. Yeah, I I I, I do show bit YouTube clips, but I like to. I found this program online, and you can actually go to it. It's called Play Posit. Um, it actually takes uh, YouTube clips, and you can embed your own questions into the YouTube clip. So rather than just showing a YouTube clip and, and having the information kind of go in one ear and out the other, it get it actually stops, kind of like what we were saying before with um, why Bill Nye is kind of advantageous to Mr. Wizard. It stops, it, it stops all that learning, all that content, and it freeze frames on one thing, mm-hmm. and then it'll ask a question, you could actually have the kids answer it on their on their phones or on their tablets or any devices they have. So it kind of engages them. And instead of just, you know, like letting the information wash over them, they're actually participating. They're engaging in it. And that's the way that kids today learn. Um, that's really the way that it has to be for them. Otherwise, they're going to completely tune out. So. I'm so glad I'm not in school. <laughs> uh, I will say we had a, a comment on Facebook from an actual teacher. Well, you're an actual teacher, a different teacher. Um, uh, my sister, 
uh, Jess Jennings, who's watching, uh, who teaches. Uh, oh, she's gonna get mad if I screw this up. What is she teaching these days? Oh no! It's somewhere between up. sixth and eighth Spanish. grade. No, it's it's, it's is it fifth and sixth? I think it's fifth and sixth. She teaches in like a one room school, like in the woods. It's terrifying. Okay. Uh, but fun. she says. Um, uh, I'm so excited you're talking about Bill Nye. I still show it to my kids at school in science. They love it. Um, yes, the kids learn. They remember so much from the show and ask to watch more episodes just for fun. Wow. All right. So, you know, hey, maybe maybe it does work. <laughs> fourth and fifth, she says. Fourth and fifth. I'm very sorry about that. I can't keep track. They're all the same. Let's, you know, they're just kids. I don't know shit about kids. Uh, all right. Very good. Well, Bill Nye, the science guy, um, science rules. All right, Matt. Um, is there another uh, program we can uh, chat about here? We got some time left. Where would you like to move on to? We do have some time left. Where should we move to next? Um, educational We can program. do... We've talked Mr. Wizard. We can do Reading Rainbow. We can do... Let's do Reading Rainbow. Oh. <laughs> oh. Rainbow. Reading that, I, Rainbow. I, you know what? For some reason, I didn't even think about that show when I was thinking about educational programming. I don't know why. I, it just never it never came to me. Um, Reading Rainbow, uh, for those of you who don't know at home, kind of centered around the host of the show, by the way, um, LeVar Burton. He was on Star Trek The Next Generation. He played Jordy LaForge. Yes, that's the dude with the kind of like the metal band around his face. For those of you who have never watched the Star Trek uh, episode. Uh, he hosted the show and each episode they would go to like a, if I'm remembering, this is all on, on, on um, Netflix. You can actually go and watch all of Reading Rainbow on Netflix, um, at least the first season, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember he would go, he would like explore different things. He'd do stuff. Much. Yeah. He would do stuff. And the whole episode would center around like basically asking questions that you like, you didn't know the answer to like what's in a bowling ball. Right. Or like what, how, like how, why is the sky blue? Right, and then they would kind of explore well, it. Yeah, the episode I so I watched a, an episode before doing the show. This one was on hot air balloons. So Lavar yeah. Burton goes in and he meets the hot balloon guys, and they talk about what a hot balloon is. And then they do the essential the audio book version where they take a book about a children's book about audio about uh, hot air balloons, and then they have some guy narrate the book and essentially read the whole book in the show and show the, the illustrations from the book. And then they intercut that with LeVar Burton going up in the balloon. And then they cut to the kids who go review a couple books. And, ah, I really like this book. My mom and I read it together. It was all about uh, how to make bread. It was interesting because I didn't know how yeah. bread was made. But you don't have to take my word for it. Um, and then they finish with LeVar Burton up in the balloon. Well, thanks for watching. And then that was the, the episode. And they would do that about different different subjects. Whatever the main book related to, um, they would discuss. Now, how did you feel about reading Rainbow as an educational program? Uh, well, today or as a child, I mean, it's kind of different. I, I'll speak more as today because I guess as a kid, you don't really care. It's educational. I mean, it was it. I would say it skewed a little more entertainment than educational simply because you didn't really learn a lot from it. I mean, it was centered around a children's book, which, you know, aren't textbooks. I mean, they're not at best. They mildly teach you. And then whatever kind of explore he would go on. Yeah, he'd touch on a few facts. But again, it was really just about. It's kind of – I'm trying to think of a good comparison to this where it's, it's again, more about – it's kind of in the same way how, – how educational is Dora the Explorer? Slightly? I mean, she might teach you a little Minim Spanish. She might, minimally. I would say Reading Rainbow may be a little more educational than that, but not by much. I mean, it certainly isn't a, a magic school bus or something like that where – they're really focused on giving you facts. I really think it was more about entertaining children in a kind of polite and smart way. Yeah, and that this is probably why it never really registered on my radar. The biggest issue that I have with reading Rainbow is that, I mean, I obviously I didn't have this thought when I was a kid, but looking back on it now, it's like 
was there some under the table dealings going on with the book companies where like they're promoting like specific books per episode like it's almost like a like a like a half an hour long sales pitch it is a little suspicious it's a little sales pitchy um that being said i don't think the books themselves are really all that informative like you said they're not textbooks but then again this is for a much younger audience this particular show i would say would be within like the probably like the grade grade two through grade grade four range yes very young um young younger kids yep um you know they like seeing him go up very bright yep maybe even younger maybe even like one through three you could Um, yeah and it introduces some concepts but i I, like i never really found that it was that informational but But then again this is a world before youtube before you could just youtube (laughs) how a hot air balloon worked um but I think I think we're missing a big piece here. I really do. I think we're glossing over something, and this just kind of struck me. It wasn't about the individual episodes. This was a show about reading. This was a show about getting kids to read. If you walked away from this show knowing maybe slightly more about hot air balloons, that wasn't the point. But if you left this episode excited to go read a book, I think that was more what this was going after. That was probably, yeah. And if that was the goal... I think they were immensely successful at that because I don't know of a show that made books cooler than reading <laughs> fucking Rainbow. I mean, let's let's be real. I, I genuinely feel that when they said, you know, go to your local library and check out a book after reading Rainbow, you got jazzed up about books because they took them into the real world. You can read a book about hot air balloons, but there's LeVar Burton going up in a hot air balloon. I mean, it, it made books real and exciting to children, which is impossible to do today was certainly hard. You have to remember reading rainbow actually ran from about, um, 1983 to 2006. Now, of course they only did a hundred, they only did a hundred and, uh, I know they 21 seasons. They didn't do a lot per, they did about 10 episodes a year. So they didn't do many, um, 155 total. Wow. Yep. 2006. I know. If huh. you can, well, they took a they took a break too. Two thousand three, they didn't do any. Um, they did like one. They did like two per year from two thousand to two thousand two. So, you know, it wasn't as it did slow down. But yeah, I mean, it it ran for a really long time. And Levar Burton just kick started to bring it back. So, um, I feel like, the, yeah, I think reading Rainbow today would would be a much more likely. You'd, much more likely th- uh, thing you would find as like a YouTube channel. Well, it's an iPad app. Is it an yeah. iPad app? Yeah. Well, that was part of the Kickstarter. That makes a lot more sense. Like it doesn't lend itself to the like 30 minute to 45 minute show on TV anymore. Like mm-hmm. I don't really, I don't really see it being that at least in the, in the, in the format it was uh, way back when it was out. Um, but yeah, as an app, that's, that's a pretty cool idea. Or as a YouTube channel, I could see that, mm-hmm. you know, him doing different things and different adventures, um, in a video series. Um, yeah, but I, I like what you said that it, it's, it's, it was much more about getting kids to read than it was about teaching them content. Like Miss Frizzle was very content dri- driven. Oh, absolutely. Um, very well, content driven. Um, Bill Nye was all content driven. Um, wizard, of course, content lab driven um but yeah no but this was more like thematic thematic it was yes there you gotta go kids read yep. so yep make make books come alive you know as they say take a make look reading, it's in a book uh it's reading rainbow and um i think they were pretty successful at that yeah to be honest of course we all remember it um and i don't know about you but i was a pretty big reader as a kid um yeah. i I burned through a lot of books. Same here. I love I love those Magic School Bus books. Those Red were like good. A- you know, can we talk just for a second about the Reading Rainbow kids and their book recommendations? Because sure. those were always laughably terrible. And they were kids, oh, so yeah. give, them a, give them a break. You would either have the kid who was really awkward or the kid who was really excited. Okay. And they, you know, they'd always present the book and they'd be like, the book I read was My Two Rabbits and it was a great book and it was all about these two rabbits and they go on an adventure. I really liked it because I learned about what rabbits eat and where rabbits live. 
it was a fun time. Make sure you pick it up at your local library. And then they'd go to the next kid. And, they, you know, they'd, they'd do another one. I, I always thought those were quite humorous, actually. Yeah. Just once I wanted, the, I wanted one kid to be like, my favorite book is the Bible. Is crime and Punishment. <laughs> <laughs> Something way too smart. Some kind of like way like up here thing that like this, this is like some, some gifted kid. Like burn through it, and then he he proceeds, of course, to give like a full fifteen to twenty minute like concise review about it, and then you're like, where did that come from? The like, crucible I, I was clearly from. an allegory to to the the uh, the red scare back, and then you're like, whoa, kid. And then he ends in like, and the cover was awesome because <laughs> I like the pictures, and he had a sword. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God that never happened. <laughs> Either that or the kid gets on and be like, I read this book. It wasn't very good. I didn't enjoy it. You can read it if you have it, but I wouldn't go out of my way to pick up a copy. <laughs> really just kind of kind of two out of five stars. It was a reasonable way to, to pass half an hour. <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're, if you're in an airport or something and you really need something to read, you might want to pick up a it's copy. It's better than no book at all. <laughs> it's better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know, fun fact, Reading Rainbow is the third longest running children's series in PBS history behind Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Sesame Street. Wow. We could go there next if you want. It's Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I never watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Really? Yeah. Now, all right. I, I, I don't I don't think we should devote a whole lot of time to this because this was not really educational in the school sense. It was more like in the moral it, sense. Into how to be a good person. Yeah. To, it's basically how to be a good person. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of education there. But, um, oh, geez, Mr. Rogers. Holy, we could, we could devote a whole episode to him. There are the rumors where he might have been a Green Beret, right? Uh no, I I hadn't heard that. Is that a rumor? Apparently that's that's a uh, a rumor that was circulating. Um, I believe shortly after his death, they were talking about how he always wore a sweater to cover up the tattoos that he oh, had on. Him. Come he got on, from being a green beret, and he like killed like hundreds of people. Or, I don't know. Um, he's Canadian. It's, you know, it's one of those fun little internet. He's rumors. not even from the U.S. He's Canadian. Mr. Rogers was Canadian. Yeah. Well, what? I don't know if he was born there, but he started his career on television in Canada. Let's see where he was born. Oh, he was born in Pennsylvania. When did he move to Canada? Um. Uh, oh well, no. Okay, no. So he could have been because he was at the. He moved to Toronto in '63. Born in 28. So he, yeah, he could have, he was like 40 when he moved. So, wait, no, that's not right. 30. He was like 30 when he moved. So he could have hypothetically. Well, if he moved to Canada in 63, he wasn't, probably wasn't in the Vietnam War because that started in 65. Well, there you go. So, and then right, he, and he moved his show back to the U.S. in 66, but he was already on TV at that point. I don't know. Yeah, there, on there TV. were all these wild rumors about him being a Green Beret and stuff and you know, his sweaters in the Korea. Smithsonian. Maybe he, maybe he was in Korea. Oh, maybe. Um, that would have made sense. Still not buying it, but I don't know. I don't really remember too much else about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. There was puppets. There's a whole bunch of puppets, and he did the voices for the puppets. And it was all basically about, you know, not being not being a dick. Kind of just like... And that's a good message for the kids. Boys. Don't bully other people. Be a nice kid. You know, that's important too. But uh, Sesame Street. Sesame Street. Good stuff on Sesame Street. That, Solid. To me, that's like, that is still like the gold standard of educational television, I think. Now, granted, this is. For much younger kids, this is for like preschool age kids, but Sesame Street tackles some real, real issues. Mm -hmm. There Absolutely. was, a, for example, I remember there was an episode where they talked about AIDS. Yeah, one of the puppets had AIDS. 
They talked about AIDS. They talked about gay marriage mm-hmm. in an episode. They've managed to slip that into a kid's show. They talked about... Um, there was they their whole uh, neighborhood got taken out by a hurricane once I think yes they talked about like a like a natural disaster mm-hmm. they talk about death on a personal level I believe one of the characters loses their father or their mother or something sure they talk like the they, it's like the grieving process for young kids um God you talk about like like a show that teaches you real stuff alongside you know learning all your alphabet and your abcs and all that like that's this they, this show did it well this show did it like real well i think they, and i think that's a, just a testament to how long it's lasted you gotta remember this is a show that <coughs> is real i mean yeah. what what kid show today you go to nickelodeon or disney or any of these what, what kid show is real what kid show? Yeah, what kid show talks about homelessness? Lives in the real world. Is on is on an actual street you can walk down. Wow. You know, you could. I would genuinely believe that Sesame Street is a real place because that was the purpose. That was the idea. They didn't want it to to be. Um, you know, there's an. If you're interested in learning more, there's actually a really great book uh, that came out a couple of years ago called A uh, Street Gang, all about the creation of Sesame Street. Now, I didn't finish it, so I don't know how it ends, but. Um, the first half was good uh, and very interesting about the origins of of, uh, of how they did it. You have to remember it was kind of created by child psychologists. And, I mean, this was a show that had a lot of thought put in it from day one. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Henson, he was a very, a very progressive guy. Um, and, and a lot of that, that uh, a lot of his, his message still comes true. Uh, it still comes through in, in his in the show today. Absolutely, and it kind of always has. Um, yeah, that's that's like a that's like a real good kids show. Now, I do have a gripe about one particular character on Sesame Street. Is it is it the um, is it the puppet that I keep using for your picture on the website and on the show when you're not here? What's his name again? Guy Smiley. Guy Smiley, the game show no, host from Sesame Street. Guy Smiley, he's okay. cool. He's a cool right. dude. All right. Um, I, I, have not, I have nothing against Guy Smiley. Um, I have everything against a certain red puppet named Elmo. Big Bird. What? No, Elmo. yeah, Elmo. Yes. So he's the red one. He's the one you tickle. Um, this guy has serious issues. All right. When and I actually, this is not my own idea. This is this is based on an article that I read, and I and I as soon as I read it, I was totally on board, one hundred percent with with what this guy was saying about Elmo. His main argument, all right, and you can just Google like anti Elmo argument or something. And mm-hmm. He has this whole big article that he wrote, basically one giant essay about why how Sesame Street was ruined with the introduction of Elmo as a character. And it's so it makes so much sense. All right, look at it this way. Sesame Street, I'll just break down his argument really quick. Sesame Street is a show that is about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's about getting kids to think outside of themselves and to care about their society, to care about their um, the people around them, to care about their family members, their friends, instead of because when kids are kids, when they're real young, they're real selfish. Like they're real self-absorbed. They kind of don't really know how to not be. Um, Sesame Street is, you know, all about teaching you how to not be selfish, how to share with other people, how to get along with other people who are different from you. That kind of thing. Elmo comes along, and he is the embodiment of pure. Um, juvenile selfishness, mm-hmm. right? It's all about me, me, me. It's Elmo's world. There's a whole segment on the show called Elmo's World where he's in his own world, all right? And he's being reverted back. He's taken all those kids that have like thought outside themselves and have been enlightened to care about other people and to be selfless, and he brings them right back. And he's like, no, no, no. It's cool to be a selfish, a selfish asshole, basically. And that's my gripe with Elmo. All right? There's one episode 
where like Big Bird's teaching all the kids about this thing and like it goes to Elmo's segment and he's like, I don't know, if you read in the article, it'll give you the specific example. But Elmo basically undoes everything that Big Bird taught earlier in the episode. So huge beef with Elmo, pretty much. You know, I well, first of all, I don't really care. I mean, you know, there's certain <laughs> things in life I just don't have an opinion on, and and whether Elmo should be on Sesame Street is not one of them. Um, <laughs> you sure you don't want to weigh in? But to stand up for Elmo in one respect, I you have to remember all of the characters on Sesame Street, especially the puppet ones. Um, each really does embody certain personality types. Big Bird is very shy. Um, Oscar is quite grouchy. Um, Bert and Ernie are opposite personalities who live together um, and are definitely not dating. And then, Cookie you know, Monster is a, is a meth addict. Right, exactly. And so I, it makes Editor sense. meth addict that we all have inside <laughs> of us. Who just needs, need that cookie fix. <laughs> but w- w- Elmo is selfish. And I don't disagree with that. That's I would agree that's his personality. Um, I think it's okay to have that personality represented. It is a very natural personality, and especially in human beings. I think that's one of the reasons why he's a popular character is because people really identify with someone that's selfish. The problem is the selfish person needs to be put in his place, right? The Oscar right. needs to be Oscar the Grouch needs to be more friendly. Big Bird needs to be more confident. Elmo needs to not be a dick. And so And that's what never happened in the exactly. show. Exactly. And I'll agree like with you in that never respect. Never happened. He got away with being this like juvenile infant kid, infantile kid. And this is for me where Sesame Street falls short on their goal of being a children first program. Elmo makes money for them. And while they're not, you know, the, they don't have a CEO who's a millionaire, Sesame Street is not cheap to make and PBS is not giving them a ton of money. So when they license Elmo to be toys and a mascot and all of that, they make money they need. And so they're not going to, you know, make him look bad and they're not going to, they're going to give him his own segment and they're going to, you know, that's just sadly, he's the breakout character. Wow. Somehow we went from an innocent conversation about Sesame Street. Capitalism ruins everything. It's now become how capitalism has ruined the youth of America uh, through Elmo. And by the way, I'd like to point out all the shows we've talked about today took place in the 90s. The, 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 really, a lot of people give 80s as the rise of capitalism, but I'll say 90s, you know, took some ecstasy and took it to the next level um, with, with some of these shows, whether you're, you know, it, it just, it, that's what it's all about. It's about making, there, there were children's school, uh, magic school bus books and toys and, you know, there, there's no Bill Nye toy as far as I know. Maybe there was, um, but you know, people were making money off this stuff, and Sesame Street's not immune to that. They they need money just like everyone else. So, you know, if that's if you know what, honestly, if if having Elmo be a little bigger part of the show and having him being a dick means we get Sesame Street every week for kids, <laughs> I can live with that. Fair I, just, I just wish they'd tell him to shut his mouth once in a while. Yeah, that's exactly it. I just wish they would put him in his place a little bit more often. They never really do, and he kind of gets away with murder. And, on the show. And to and, be honest, there's so much crap programming out there for kids these days. Uh, hell, when I was a kid, Barney was a big thing. And Barney was fluff. It was garbage. I mean, there was nothing to it. Teletubbies? I mean, you know. That's that, stuff that was on, like, so your mom could get a break it from It was you. killing time. I, I, every time <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting in line somewhere, I always see kids watching videos on phones of this garbage programming. Um, yeah. And I wish there were more, you know, to kind of put a bow on this episode, I wish there were... There were more, more kids shows that could balance the entertainment with the educational, and and as we've talked about, even if it's not shoving facts down your brain hole, um, as long as it's not fluff and garbage, that's what's important. Well, now go yeah, and, and kind of going back to what I said earlier about how kids learn today. Yeah, we do have all this fluff and this garbage um, in the form of shows, but. Uh, Kids can interact with what they're learning uh, via apps um, that they can actually interact with. And I think that builds connections way better than anything else. In, educa- in the education world, we have this thing um, called Bloom's Taxonomy. Mm-hmm. And it's this pyramid, all right? And at the top of the pyramid, the most crucial 
part of the lesson is the creative part, the engaging part, the part where the kids get to create something on their own, right? And underneath that, you have, anal you have analytics, you have um, evalu evaluation, uh, you have a couple other steps. At the very bottom of the pyramid is knowledge. That's where kids just learn facts. But when you get to the top of the pyramid, the kids should be creating things on their own based on the things that they've already learned. Um, and that's something that technology really drives. Now have the ability to create things that we've only dreamed about before. And that's really the future of education. Not so much the programming or the television shows. That's all enforcement. But getting them like involved and engrossed in creating their own content and their and and apply, actually applying that knowledge, that's where the future needs to go for learning. Very good. I couldn't think of a better way to end it. Very good. Once again, Matt, uh, our expert here on the ways of learning, and I will say, you know, we talk about the scale from entertainment to education. I would say tonight's uh, up for debate has even been a little educational. And entertaining. And then next week, we could go to talk about sandwiches again. Yeah, talk about something real, real stupid. Potato real chips. We never talk about potato chips. Potato, Saratoga about... chips, originally from Saratoga, New York. So there's plenty we can talk about. I happen to like Cape Cod trips. Oh, those are. I get the, the waffle cut. Kettle, the kettle. What are they called? Kettle fried ke chips? Ke kettle chips, yeah. They cook them in the big vat. You ever see them make them? Very good. Yeah, Cape oh, yeah. Cod's where it's at. We can talk about pretzel nuggets. Mm, pretzel nuggets. Pretzel nuggets, I think a little bit overrated. Only oh. the honey wheat. The honey wheat are great. All right. Love the honey wheat. Everything We're, else. I honey wheat. You disgust me. We're taking All this. All about the honey wheat. You Love are honey. a sourdough man. You're a, you're a sad, <laughs> sad individual. We're going to take this conversation offline because we're out of time for tonight. But thanks, everybody, for joining us. Especially, I'm going to get double points to those who joined us live on Facebook this evening. We appreciate John and Jess and everybody who was commenting. Um, I, I said we would watch on Facebook and talk about it on the show, and we did. So that's why you should come back Thursdays at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TV. But I know not everybody can do that. Some people are busy Thursday nights. So you can go to our website, upfordebate.tv. Go there. It's got all of the episodes, past, present, future, and audio and video formats. You can check them out. The video is great. It's HD, uh, and it's on YouTube. Uh, but all the links are on the website. You click the subscribe button. It'll tell you where to find us on all the podcasting platforms. We're in all the apps. Uh, as I said, video on YouTube, audio on SoundCloud. Of course, you can follow us at Up for Debate TV on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back next week, Matt. I have no idea what we're going to talk about, but I guarantee we'll come up with something fun, as we always do. But we appreciate all of you out there for joining us. On behalf of Matt... This is Sean thanking you for joining us and hoping we'll see you next time. We have a more great discussion here on Up for Debate. <laughs>